So there's a, a lady named Yvette Vickers. She was uh, years ago a model, and she was the film star of, of B-movies. She was the woman in The Attack of the 50-Foot Woman, that Oscar-nominated uh, film there. 2011, she died at the age of 83, living in L.A., in her house, um, passed away. The, the story, though, is that they found her about a year after she had died inside her home. When a neighbor noticed when she was getting her mail that Miss Vickers' mailbox was developing cobwebs and that the mail inside was beginning to yellow and get old, she went to the house to check on her and no one answered the door. There was a broken window up near the front. She was able to reach in through the broken window and unlock the door and go inside, push through mounds of clothes and junk mail, go upstairs and she found the mummified body of Miss Vickers next to a heater that was still running with a, t a computer screen in the room, still up and going. And as the coroner came, realized it had been over a year. The LA Times wrote a story about it because of the significance of an event like that. And the crazy thing was within two weeks of the LA Times story, she was the, she was the star of over 16,000 Facebook posts and nearly 900 tweets as people retold the story. All of those significant or maybe insignificant relationships through social media and none in real life. They went back and looked at her phone records. How does this happen to somebody? And they found out that over, before she died, that the last several people she had called were long-distance phone calls to fans, people that she had met at, at these conventions and things like that. She had no family, no, no church, no close friends. And if you are sitting here going, yeah, I think he's told this story before, you're partially right. Because over the past two or three years, probably, I, I know, I can remember, I've told not one, but two stories that are not this story, but very similar. This is the third story that I know that I've told recently of a person who has passed away and been found months to years later. And that is more tragic than the one story. That we live in a, in a society where people can be so removed that we can have, have relationships with people long distance. We can have relationships with people through social media, but our life can expire and no one knows because we're not walking even remotely close with anyone. Last week, we started this amazing race series. And we said that when you know where you're going, and we looked at, we looked at Jesus talking about heaven. He talked about, hey, where I'm going, my father has a house, he's got many rooms. And we said, when you know where you're going, that, that makes all the difference to life here. Changes the way we live. And this morning and this week with our students, with our families, we're talking about this truth. Knowing where you're going makes all the difference. But we also weren't meant to run the race alone. We weren't meant to do this journey to heaven, this journey of 80 years here to one day be in the kingdom which we're from. We weren't meant to do the 80 years here all by ourselves. And we know that. You, you can look at that from, from infants to adults. Babies have to have relationships. There's all kinds of internet and urban legends about studies done on children. I don't know if any of those confirm because it would be pretty inhumane to do experiments on kids. But uh, in the Journal of Medical Association, there was a, a report written a few years ago that didn't, it wasn't research done on experiments. It was research done on children who were uh, raised in Romanian orphanages. 
these were children as infants that were, were put in the orphanage and, and they spent <coughs> most of their time in a crib. Now they had good care. They were fed, they were changed, um, but there was just so many babies to so few workers that these children didn't have the typical, the normal physical contact with adults. They spent most of their infancy in the crib. Very, very little time being held, very little time being around adults. And what the study has looked at as these children have grown is that they have very severe delays in physical development. They have very severe neurological problems and that they are are much, much much, much higher likelihood of having serious infection. Now, the, the journal goes on to say, we can't just take all of those things, physical delays, intellectual delays, sickness, and say that's because of a lack of contact, because there are other things undoubtedly that, that are, are, are significant factors in, in an environment like that. But we also can't dismiss it. Because we also have psychologists and counselors now who are doing research in something called attachment theory. They're doing all kinds of research in in how we as adults or or our teenagers live and process lives based on how they attach to a mother or father, how relationships developed in their infancy. You could imagine, you could imagine what a child would grow up like that was an infant, that had no relationships, no contact, no one alongside them. And you're living it right now with teenagers in the home, right? It's called peer pressure. Right? I mean, they, they do things that, that you, you just look at and you shake your head. Like, Why in the world would you do that? Because this draw to have a relationship with a peer, to be liked, to be in the journey with someone else will cause me to do some things that my parents shake their head at. And even me as a 13-year-old, 15-year-old, 18-year-old knows better. And I reflected back, I spent seventh grade, eighth grade, and ninth grade living in, in Mannheim, Germany. At the time it was West Germany. And I remember being with this group of friends, being a junior high student, early high school student, and wanting to have those type of friends just like everyone down that hallway feels. And I can remember doing things that now I'm just like, oh my gosh, those are stories that I probably shouldn't tell. I can remember leaving the base and walking down this road uh, that split where the officers lived and where the other soldiers lived. And it was what we called the economy. It was, it was German property. And there was a little German candy store that we would frequent a lot and we would go over to friends that live here. Sometimes we would get on this road and we'd go out into the woods. There was a forest kind of right behind us. And as a junior high guy, what a, what a great place to live, to go explore forest, to go and find <coughs> like we did an old World, World War II tank bunker and to be able to like climb on it and hang out and do things. But I also remember as one of those young boys taking the water balloons And as people, Germans, rode their bikes through the woods on a nice, you know, summer afternoon, 70 degrees and enjoying the woods, to be pounded by a bunch of American kids with water balloons. (laughs) Some of them we would probably consider senior adults, you know, and which makes me feel absolutely horrid now, you know, at the age I am now. But at that time, I knew better. I knew, I knew holding a water balloon, watching a, a 60-something, 70-year-old you know, man and woman walking through the woods holding hands, I knew that if I 
threw that water balloon and hit them that if my parents found out, they would beat me with an inch of my life. I knew that if someone caught me, they would take me to the Polizei, the German police, and, and they would beat me within an inch of my life. I knew that if Jesus was standing at that age, I knew Jesus would have went, don't, don't, no, don't think about it. And yet, because I wanted these relationships, I wanted contact with people, man, we let those water balloons fly. And as adults, we need relationships. Do you know that over 30 million people worldwide, our age, adults, so younger and older and our age, have virtual relationships because they live a part of their life in some online world, in some online game where they have taken on a, a, a character, they've taken on a role, and they've developed friendships inside this online world. Nothing bad about that. But what's scary is that when the research of not all 30 million, but in, in cross-section of that, 40% of men and over 50% of women have said that their virtual friends are equal to or better than their real life friends. Friends, that's not healthy. That's not the way that it's supposed to be. Over 25% of those same people, when reflecting back on their week, answered this question to be true. The most emotionally significant moment of my week happened in a virtual relationship. The most emotionally significant moment of my week was between someone who has an avatar and a made-up name that I've talked to via text or headphone online. Sad. But as adults, we need relationships as well. We can't be alone. We know that, we know that infants need them. We know that teenagers need them. We know that adults need them. We can't run this race that we're in all by ourselves. And the problem for us, the problem for us isn't in finding friends. It's not finding people. We've got people all around us. The problem we, find, we have is finding race partners. The problem we have is finding people that, that are going the same place we are. That, that What we talked about last week, when you know where you're going, it makes all the difference. The problem is finding people that are on the same journey, the same path that we are, that are going to the same place. Not, not that we can just talk with and have friendships with, but understand what it means to try to live for Jesus in a world that isn't interested in that. To find a race partner or partners that will cheer us on and encourage us, that will pick us up when we fall, that we can talk about things that are spiritually intimate. That's our problem. It's not finding people. There's people all around us. In fact, you're sitting in, in, in circles right now of people that you may or may not be race partners with. Finding people is not the issue. You'll find them at work. You'll find them in your neighborhood. You actually have them in your family. But are they race partners? You see, we weren't created. We weren't meant to run this race. We weren't meant to be in this journey by ourselves. We were meant to have others. Now, there's a guy named Solomon who lived several years ago. He was a, a king of the Israelites. He was King David's son. And Solomon is known to be one of the wisest people ever to live. And, and he's written many Proverbs, this wisdom literature. He also writes a book uh, called Ecclesiastes. And I want us to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. <coughs> Ecclesiastes chapter 4. 
I'm going to read a handful of verses that Solomon penned. And I want you to look at chapter 4, verse 7. He says, again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil and his eyes are never satisfied with riches so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Some translations will say, this is meaningless. And as you read through the book of Ecclesiastes, what we find is Solomon is giving with his wisdom a reflection on the world as he's observed it. And what he's done through the Ecclesiastes, I looked at this and it was ultimately meaningless. And I looked at this and it was ultimately meaningless. And I looked at this and there was, there was no purpose in it. And in chapter four, verse seven, he's looking at what seems like commentary on money and wealth. Because he says things like this, there's no end to all his toil. He talks about a, a, a fictional man. There's no end to all his toil. He's never satisfied with his riches. But as we, as we kind of look closer, what we realize is what's, what's meaningless is his wealth and what's meaningless is his work. But the reason why Solomon says it's meaningless is because he has no significant relationships. It says that, look, look at verse eight. He's this one person, he has no other. There's no one in his life, no son, no brother. There's no family, there's no one else. He feels meaningless because he's done this work and he's accumulated the wealth and he has no one to share it with. He has no one to walk alongside. I've worked and I've accumulated, and I've done, but I have no one in the journey with me. And Solomon says, ultimately, that's what's meaningless. Walking through life with no one else. And look what he says in verse 9. He says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. You remember those commercials when we were like young, high school, college, the, the, the senior adult lady who had the clapper and she'd fallen and can't get up? Solomon was talking about her well before the commercials. That's what he says. Woe to him who's alone when he falls. And he has no, uh, not another to lift him up. Verse 11, again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Solomon says, listen, life needs relationships. Solomon's saying that we're not meant to be in this journey alone. We need to have a race partner. We need to have, he's not just talking about a significant other as in a spouse. God bless if you have a spouse that's in the journey with you. But let me suggest this too. If you're a happily married couple, men, you also need some other men in your life. Women who are happily married also need some other women in their life. Women tend to get that better than we do. Like a couple of weeks ago, we had the IF gathering in here, a conference for women. There's nearly 300 women and they love to come share life and to talk about their emotions and talk about their feelings and be on the journey together. And, you know, and, and for guys, like, like to get guys someplace, we have to have like, you know, guns and, you know, wild animals to eat together. You know, things like that's the only, I mean, I am not going. Oh, there's, there's exotic meat to eat. Okay, yeah, I guess I'll try that. That's about the only way. Football game, yeah. Because we're gonna gather around and watch the football game and talk about our emotions. No, I mean, that's, we're just getting in the room together. That, but men, we need some other men in the journey with us. It's not good that we're alone. And women, it's the same. We've gotta have these 
race partners. And that's what Solomon says. Now, Solomon is speaking from wisdom. Again, he's the wisest person, according to the scripture, that's ever lived. And, he, and out of his wisdom, he says, you can't be in the race alone. It will feel meaningless. And he gives these examples that to us might seem odd. But remember, Solomon is writing hundreds of years before the birth of Christ. It's before the Roman Empire. It's before the Greek Empire. This is, this is, is when Israel is at, at its peak. And, and so again, there's not electricity. And so he makes comments that seem kind of, uh, of odd to us. He says, how does one person stay warm? When the fire goes out, two people share body heat and they keep warm. What, what do you do when you're on this path because you're not in your car with your, with your locks and your, your, your cell phone to call the police? When you're walking from one town to the other on a remote road where no one is in distance to even hear you yell and robbers jump out, somebody comes to hurt you or to rob. He says this, he says, you know what? If there's two of you, you have a better chance of survival than if there's one of you. And he says a threefold cord is harder to break than, a one, than one cord. If there's three of you, you have an even better chance. The more people you have in your life, the better success you'll have because you weren't meant to do this journey alone. Pretty wise words. If you fall down, there's someone to pick you up. You don't do this alone. When I was uh, working in the house just this week, and I'm not much of a handyman. Um, I'm trying to learn how to do those things. And I, and I have some men in my life that I call and go, okay, how, how do I do this? And what do you suggest? And they'll give me some things. I'm trying to figure it out. I didn't have to call for this. We had, that is about to sound really odd when I say that. And then I say a light bulb was out in my house. I know how to change a light bulb. But our ceiling fan in our living room, we have these, these lights that are in, in our roof. And then we have the, the ceiling fan and it's a, it's a real nice ceiling fan. All the lights had burned out inside the ceiling fan. So I go and I get a stepladder and I've got a couple of light bulbs and I climb up the stepladder and now this, this sounds, I'm scared of heights, even two steps up. That's what I, mean. I got my hands up and I'm kind of like, woo, you know. And so I'm reaching up and, and, and I begin to unscrew the little decorative piece that holds the, the globe in place. And it, the, the decorative piece comes down the chain that you pull to turn the light on unscrew the, the uh, globe, and as it comes down, it doesn't come off. If it does, now I haven't figured that portion out. So I'm standing there on a stepladder, and I'm holding this globe because I don't want to let it go and it just go all crazy because it's just got this one little chain that's holding it. And so I'm trying to hold it and reach up and also find the light and, and unscrew the light because my stepladder obviously is about one step too small because that's how it always happens. And I get the light out, I hand and lay it down and Amanda's standing there and, and, and I mean, I'm trying to get in and she, and she says, hey, can, can I help you in any way? Well, there's only room for one of us on the stepladder. So I say, I say no. But in a moment like that, and again, it's a, it's a simplistic illustration. In a moment like that, we, we really understand why two are better than one. So uh, there's so many things in life that, that, that are better when you have support. Even her just holding the light bulbs where I don't have to try to put some in my pocket or hold one in my mouth or something like that. As I'm trying to, you know, you know I look like an intoxicated monkey trying to like figure things out up there. And I get the lights and we get all squared away and fixed. But it's one of those moments in just real life, everyday living, that two are better than one. If that's true physically, you know, that we need other people for physical health. If it's, we talked about that with infants. If it's true intellectually, we need other people to spur us on in the way we think. If we need it emotionally, 
which is obvious, especially coming off of Valentine's Day. And isn't it obvious that, it, that we would need more than one person in our spiritual journey? It's just the way God created us. And Solomon sees it. So what do we do? I want to give you a couple things. Here, here's the first thing. It's very practical. Something you can do this week. Schedule some face-to-face time with a Christian friend. Not phone time. Not Facebook time. Schedule some face-to-face time with a Christian friend. And, and I'm leaning in on the word schedule because schedule has a sense of intentionality behind it. You're not just looking for some time. Get out your calendars. You're playing the week. Say, you know what? I'm going to carve out an hour to go eat lunch with somebody. A Christian friend, somebody that might be a race partner with you. Somebody that will be in the journey alongside of you. And I'm going to spend some time with them so that I can, I can go deep. Shane Hibbs wrote a book called Flickering Pixels. And he tells the story about two friends that he has. And these two friends of his are best friends. He has multiple conversations and they're all three friends, but, but he's, he's not as close to the other two. These other two guys grow up together. They talk on the phone at least daily. He said, actually, they talk several times a day on the phone. But separately, they've both confided in him that the relationship they have with their best friend feels distant and feels like they don't really know the person, even though they talk every day. Now, here's the ironic thing. These two guys that are best friends live in the same city, a few blocks apart from each other. They're neighbors. But at the time of the writing, he said they hadn't seen each other in two months. Just phone calls, just texts, two months, neighbors. And what happens is when they begin to disconnect from face-to-face real relationships, <coughs> they begin to feel the relationship itself start to fray and tear. This week, Find somebody. When we get done here, send them a text now and say, hey, can we meet for coffee? Hey, could we go to dinner? Maybe you do it if you are married, uh, you do it maybe a, a couple date or something like that just to go get with some other people. But it's not just about spending time. That, that's good. We need, those, we need relationships. But it's about a race partner. It's finding somebody that, and this will be awkward possibly depending on the, the depth of the relationship, but find somebody this week that over lunch you can talk about things of faith. You can talk about your devotional life, what God is doing in your life right now, that you can talk about what you heard from a sermon, that you can dialogue some of these spiritual uh, aspects of this race, of this life that we're in. Have this race partner that at the end of lunch or at the end of coffee, you can pray with each other, not just ask, how can I pray for you and write it down and pray for them later, but to have somebody that is in the race with you that you can pray with right then and there. Find somebody and schedule it. That, that, is, that is feet to faith. That is taking this idea that we weren't meant to run this race alone and making it become real life. Make it become a part of where you live and how you walk with Jesus. Here's the second thing. The second thing is this, commit to a small group. Now, ironically, you're sitting in a small group of circles. So you might go, oh, okay, good, check, I'm done. I got today covered. I don't even have to go to coffee with somebody and pray with them and talk about Jesus because I'm sitting in a small group. And they say sit in a small group. We said commit to a small group. There's a difference between sitting in a circle and committing to a group of people, isn't there? 
We're talking about having a group of people that you're sitting in a circle with that you're doing the same things that you would have done with the person that you're taking to lunch or going to have coffee with. It's having a group of people (coughs) that you are going deeper with spiritually. And let me tell you this, I, I, I realize this. Even if I stop talking in time, which is rare, and you have 20 or 30 minutes to sit and discuss the topic of the day, that will not make you go deep. There has to be some times outside of this 30 minutes of this hour where you're sharing life together. And as we build these small groups, and that's kind of our purposeful, and it's going a little slower than I had hoped with all the other things going on in life. But as we're building these and beginning to identify some people who have said, hey, I'll take a small group, I'll lead. What we're going to be asking of them is to do some things together, to go to lunch, to go to church together. That, that's going to be step one for some of our small groups, to leave here and not count this, count me as your pastor and to count this as your sermon but to go and corporately worship in a multi-generational setting with people younger and older than you, to be able to corporately worship through song, the God who deserves our praise, to be under the same biblical teaching of whoever is, I realize we don't have a pastor now, but whoever's pastoring that day or teaching that day. And then to go from there as a small group to lunch. I know that's a radical idea. To go and sit down and share a meal together. Read Acts 2. Verses 40 through 42, we find that's what the early church did. They ate together on a regular basis because relationships happen that way. Commit to a small group. If your small group leader says, hey, we want to do something next month, want to get together, come to our house, or, or, or let's all take all of our families and go do something, make that a priority on your calendar because that's what commitment does. It says, hey, I'm a part of you. We're, a fam- we're, we're in this journey together because I refuse to do it alone. And I'm not, I'm not going to just count on the one person to be in the journey with me. I want to find a group of people. Now, I'm saying that that is a very difficult thing, even for this group, because we, we don't have that in our DNA right now. But we're trying to move to that. Honestly, it's something that our students, our teenagers who are down the hall, do way better than we do. I mean, you, you're, you're battling that. that they're, they're wanting to commit to this small group and that small group and another small group all night Friday and all day Saturday. And you're like, could we have some family time at some point? And they're like, but I'm, you know, but they do better. They figured out how to be in community. For Wednesday night when we talk with them, it's not gonna be about finding some people, it's gonna be about the spiritual depth of it. They've got people, but finding people that are really, really race partners, which we're talking about as well too. Find that person this week, sit down with them. Commit to a small group. Say, this is going to be a priority for me and my family. Now I'm gonna give you some time to talk, but I wanna I want illustrate something um, that happens in the natural world. I don't know it, it's, it's, if you've seen this video I'm gonna show you, and I took the sound out of it because um, I couldn't really say it here what the people were saying, and the last thing I needed was somebody to drop some like F-bomb or something like, and I was oh, I missed it the first time. So I took it out, so I'm gonna narrate, for, narrate it for you. But it's, it's a YouTube video that many of you might have seen. Have you ever seen the battle at Kruger? Anybody? Oh, this is phenomenal. Can you dim the stage lights? And you've got it, right? It's about an eight or 10 minute video, but there's clips of it that I fast forwarded. So you'll see it going quick. Okay, so these people are filming this with a home video camera and some lions have found some Cape Buffalo and they're going after the baby. And so that lion takes it down and here come the other ones. Lion number two, lion number three is gonna get in. Again, it's on YouTube and home. This was not done by like National Geographic. 
Nothing's gonna get bloody. You won't see anything that'll gross you out. So these lions now have this baby. Now we fast forward, but this is where it gets crazy, the Battle of Kruger. This, is, this next part's just fun. Fast forward, now watch this right down here. While they're eating this thing, a crocodile comes out. Talk about having a bad day if you're the baby Cape Buffalo, right? Taken down by four lions and now the crocodile's involved and the crocodile's trying to pull, pull it in for food. I mean, this is, this is the natural world in all of its wonder. Now we fast forward, they get the crocodile away, they drag the baby Cape Buffalo up and there's four or five lions, but look what happens. The natural world. There's not a committee meeting. There's no Bible. There's no life group message. Here come the rest of the team. And there's gonna be some fast forward because there's some, there's some discussion amongst the, the, uh, the, the, the buffaloes here. We go fast forward now, watch this. The group comes, the lions are there, and one's like, all right, runs one of them off and decides, you know what, I'm not done yet. And they're gonna, chases that one away. Now, meanwhile, fast forward mode, <laughs> they're also gathering. I don't know what the lions are thinking at this moment, but watch this. Yeah. Uh-huh. And up two more scatter. And there goes the chase. We fast forward, they're still going after like one of them. Now, now the prey, the predators become the prey. Runs him off down from five to like two. And here they come back. And fast forward, because you want to wait eight or 10 minutes. And baby Kate Buffalo, back to the herd. Isn't it crazy? Crazy that somebody caught it on camera. You can go and you can stop it there. It's, it's, the rest of it's just them. Somebody caught it on camera. But here's the natural world. Again, no Bible study, no Ecclesiastes, no Solomon, no flags, no amazing race. In the natural world, these animals stick together. They're in, the, they're in the race, they're in the journey. And when one goes down, the others come back to pick him up. Who's running with you? Who's in your life that's going to pick you up or you're going to pick up? Who's in your life that you're going to meet the needs of or if you have a moment and have a time in your life where you have needs met, we'll be there for you. You're not meant to run this race alone. We talked about last week, we know we're going. It changes everything about this journey we're in. And you're not supposed to be changed by yourself. Find someone, commit to a small group. Start walking deeper with Jesus because that's what he created you for, him and for other people. I'm gonna close with this question. If we are called, this local body, to love God and to love people, in such a way that the rest of this community looks at us and says, man, those people are followers of Jesus. And I recognize that because the way they love each other, that's what Jesus said, was, was our goal. If, if our community is gonna have that, you're sitting on the cusp of that because people all around you are looking for relationships themselves. And when they begin to see a group of people who love God intimately and they're in this journey towards their, their final destination, a heavenly kingdom, and they're loving people along the way, real relationships, authenticity, and intimacy, 
a world that's missing Jesus looks at that and takes notice. So one way that we love God and we love people is to find some people to run this race with. Pray for us and then let you talk.